And you have seen your audience size go up because of the shift? Yes. Yep. It was starting to dip around 250,000 downloads a month before I made the switch. And then immediately after I made the switch, it shot up past 300,000. And now it's hovering around 350,000 a month. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today, we're chatting with Jordan Blair, the host of Dreamful Bedtime Stories podcast. She's been doing this bi-weekly podcast for over 81 episodes. She's also a podcast producer at one of my favorite podcast hosting companies, Buzzsprout, where she produces a podcast called Podcasting Q&A. Jordan has a background in art, writing, and theater, which could help explain the high production quality of her podcast, Dreamful. And today, I wanted to chat with Jordan because I know she has several revenue streams from her podcast, and I wanted to learn a little more about each one and also dive into her main growth tactic of being intentional with content you're creating. Welcome to the show, Jordan. How are you doing? I am doing so great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you today. We've known each other for, I guess, over a year now. Yeah. We first met at Podcast Movement in Nashville. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, and a lot has changed since then, and we'll dive into some of that stuff. Yeah, um, for both of us. <laughs> exactly, for you, a lot, actually. Yeah. Kind of following your journey, following your life. But first, tell us about your show, Dreamful Bedtime Stories. Yeah, so Dreamful Bedtime Stories, it is what it sounds like. It is bedtime stories accompanied by ambient music. Basically, how that came about is that I couldn't find the right bedtime story podcast for my kids. And I looked and looked and looked and just couldn't find anything that was well-produced that was longer than seven to 13 minutes. And my kids do not go to sleep in 13 minutes at all. That's not a thing. And so I just kind of like did what a normal person would do. And I said, fine, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> so that's how that came about. <laughs> and were you already kind of like reading them to sleep and things like that or? Yeah, well, I actually have a background. Um, I was a children's librarian for like three years or something yeah, no like way. that. That's yeah, perfect. I was. Yeah. So I'm used to doing storytelling. I'm used to doing story time with kids. And so, yeah, that combined with like a theater background and just like a general sense of creativity, it just was kind of the perfect storm to create this bedtime story podcast. <laughs> and did you kind of just created on whim or did you do like a bunch of research? You said you kind of looked at the space to see if there were any other podcasts like that. And were there not many at the time? No, there were not, especially ones like mine. Basically, what I came across was a lot of podcasts for children were like, and tonight we're going to talk about the little <laughs> bitty caterpillar. And it was just like very like high energy. And then anything that was very... um like soothing and accompanied by like ambient music. And it just had this sort of like meditative quality to it. Anything like that was just so short that there was no way on earth my kids were going to just like listen to the one episode and then be out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's... <laughs> 
That's interesting because um, I've been listening to several episodes of your podcast and I was even wondering, is it even for kids? Because mm -hmm. you have a great voice and it sounds way different from what I'm hearing now Yeah, and from your podcasting here <laughs> yeah. in your podcast. Uh, you're actually almost kind of acting in this tone to soothe people to sleep. That um, is exactly it. Yeah, that is exactly it. I, I essentially it is a character that I have, you know, dreamful Jordan is completely different than this Jordan, who's <laughs> yeah. very energetic and loud and <laughs> boisterous. And so it's it's essentially like a character. It's like, who would I be if I was narrating a book or like doing something like that? So it's it's kind of like a more chill, relaxed version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very chill. Yeah, I should actually try to play a clip during yeah. this episode just to show people what it's like, because it's so different. You put on a whole different persona. Yeah. So you initially created this for your kids. Is that kind yeah. of your biggest audience now? Yeah. You know, what's so funny about that is that Sometimes you have in your head when you start a podcast, this is what it's going to be. You do the whole avatar of what your listener is going to look like. Podcast coaches, they always tell you niche down, niche down, niche down. And usually what they say when they're talking about niching down is focus on a specific like age range or a group of people. So I think I had in my head when starting this that my age range was going to be like six to 11. And what wound up happening is I started getting more and more adults and college kids, teenagers, people in their 60s and 70s started emailing me and saying, I listen to this every night or, you know, they would subscribe to my like Patreon and things like that. And after a couple years of that and running like audience surveys, I realized I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have a children's <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, this is not a kid's podcast. And so mm. actually this last January, it was so scary for me, but I took Dreamful out of kids and family and mm. moved it into mental health. And it was terrifying for me. Like it was so scary, but I just realized like, I've got all these people asking for very adult stories. Like we're talking like Pride mm -hmm. and Prejudice. They want more right. Sherlock Holmes. They want these very intricate stories that are difficult for children, you know, like mm -hmm. they like the fairy tales and stuff, but they're asking for things that are just so much more mature in content. And so, yeah, I made the switch to mental health from kids and family. Uh, and it worked out. My podcast has actually been growing since I made that switch. And that totally is consistent with what I've seen on your podcast. It's like uh -huh. with the subject matter, I think I even saw like episodes around Shakespearean plays. Yeah. So yeah, that's very cool. And you have seen your audience size go up because of the shift? Yes. Yep. It was starting to dip around 250,000 downloads a month before I made the switch. And then immediately after I made the switch, it shot up past 300,000 and now it's hovering around 350,000 a month. Wow, that's huge. Those are huge yeah. numbers. It was literally and, like the next month that it changed. <laughs> right, right. And just so the audience knows, it, your your podcast comes out every other week, right? Yep, yep. It's a bi-weekly podcast. I knew my limitations and I... <laughs> 
said, I will drive myself crazy. I will pod fade. I will burn out if I do a weekly podcast, especially for something so highly produced. It's way too much work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I want to dive into that. I noticed you have an assistant now, which Mm -hmm. we'll kind of get into. So that's, wow, those are really big numbers. What is that per episode? It's typically about 30,000 downloads per episode in like the first 30 days Mm -hmm. of the episode being published. And then around like 90 days, it's probably closer to like 70. I see. So you get on a monthly basis, you get a lot of your back catalog plays. Then Yes, that's the beauty of evergreen content is people can go back and listen, especially bedtime stories. They want to hear their favorite stories over and over again. They find it comforting. Um, People like repetition. So yeah, that's definitely an advantage that I have. (laughs) Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Because yeah, you're right. You do this kind of interesting trick too. I've noticed in your episodes where um, you'll stop talking. You'll you'll stop narrating. I don't know. Maybe like ten minutes before it actually ends, and it's just yep. music. <laughs> yep. So once again, another tactic to get people to sleep, I guess. Yeah. So let's talk about your main hack. You said your main hack is being intentional with your content. What do you mean by that? Well, so basically, I think that there's a couple different aspects to be really intentional about the content that you create, you know, make sure that you're passionate about it. Make sure that you are portraying that passion to the listener and serving other people that have a similar passion, right? So for me, I would not be doing so well with a bedtime story podcast if I did not have a passion for storytelling, if I did not have a passion for mythologies and folklore and making something really beautiful, like just the content creation itself, it wouldn't be good because I wouldn't have such a love for it. And then secondly, being intentional with your content also means like finding a way that you are unique in the way that you are delivering the content. So something that I did when starting my podcast was like listen to a bunch of other podcasts, even podcasts that were not in my niche. I listened to true crime podcasts. I listened Mm. to business growth podcasts. I listened to all these different podcasts And I just kind of like cherry picked from all of them and said like, oh, I love the way that this person does a call to action in their intro. I love the way that this person introduces their episode. I love the way that this person delivers their sponsorship ad reads, you know, just things like that. And I just like picked out all these things. And then I also found things that I didn't like. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that in my podcast. I'm going to make sure that I edit out all my harsh S's and like mouth clicks and things like that, because I have a very clicky mouth (laughs) and I clean all of that out. And so it's, it's just being very intentional about the way that you create your podcast. Mm -hmm. It definitely shows when you have the finished product and it's something that's just really carefully crafted. Yeah, for sure. And it definitely shows in your product and your product, meaning your podcast, And did you start this type of mentality from day one? Like, actually, did you have any podcasting experience before you started Dreamful? No, I didn't. (laughs) I had zero experience. So basically, I just listened to like obsessively for Mm -hmm. I think it was like three months. I listened to podcasts about podcasting. I consumed the Buzzsprout like YouTube library. They have like a whole how to start a podcast series, like things like that. And so I just like consumed as much as I could, which I mean, three years ago, there wasn't as much as there is now. So I feel like people who are thinking about starting a podcast now really have an advantage Mm -hmm. because there's so much content out there and 
so many people have like amazing ideas and insights about how to start a podcast. So yeah, I, I just basically did that for like three months and I watched like YouTube videos about how to edit audio files and things like that. But I, it was um, an unhealthy obsession for probably about like three months. <laughs> and probably continues to be an obsession. It, yep, it does. But it's my job now, so it's Exactly, okay. <laughs> it's your full-time job. Yeah. But I want to get back to, I mean, you have these incredible numbers and you're saying the way you got there was being intentional. And it sounds like what you're saying is being intentional kind of equates to producing a quality podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, I think What so. do you think your quality was like from day one? Like, or let's say the first couple months, was it up to the standards now or did it change quite a bit? Like, was there a time where you're like, you know what, I need to get serious about this. I want to be intentional. Um, I am proud to say that I'm still really proud of my first episode. I <laughs> am. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. It is not at the level that my podcast is now. And I think that part of that is due to just being a little bit more knowledgeable on how to edit audio on like little tricks and things like that. So there's, there's that aspect of it. But my first ever episode was Peter Pan. I had like, honestly, my podcast intro is exactly the same as it was back then. Um, I definitely was more like you can hear in my energy. I was like a little bit nervous, but just talking like very softly and slowly like this. And mm -hmm. now it's just like, yeah, welcome to Dreamful Podcast. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's um, you can just tell I'm a lot more like relaxed and mm -hmm. there's just mm -hmm. a little bit more like sweetness and energy in mm -hmm. my voice now than I had before. Um I feel like there's a little bit more of my personality in it, even though it is a character of myself. Um, it, it still has that energy a little bit more. Um, but I am very proud of my first episode. It was Peter Pan. It was a story that I really wanted to do, a story that I love. Mm -hmm. And but yeah, you can definitely hear the difference. And I think part of that is maybe like equipment, experience, yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that. So yeah, that's neat. Um, so in the beginning, when did that hockey stick really kind of go up in the audience and the download count? This is such a crazy story. <laughs> and I love telling this because it's so weird. So in 2020, um, before the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what, I don't want to get burned out on my podcast, I'm going to go on break. And so I reached out to other podcasts in my niche. And I said, hey, I really want to go on break, but can I take one of your episodes and put it in in place of mine and I'll do a whole promo for your podcast. I will talk about how amazing it is and like leave links and stuff like that. And people were so willing to send me an MP3 file of their episode. I mean, mm -hmm. I reached out to some of the biggest podcasts in that niche at the time and they were so down. It was awesome. I realize now that that's because it's called a feed drop and those are actually very <laughs> valuable. But in my mind, I was just like, I just want to make sure like I keep up with my audience saying like, hey, I'm on break, but I'll be back. But in the meantime, listen to this awesome podcast. And so I did that starting March. So February, I was getting 3000 downloads per month on my podcast. Mm. And then I went on break. And then in March, I had 17,000 downloads Wow! in that month. And then in April, I had 70,000 downloads. And then I came back from break. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then I came back from break in May and I had 117,000 downloads in that month. <laughs> like, wow. It was the weirdest thing to just walk away from my podcast and put other people's thing in place. And yeah, it was just, it was the weirdest thing. Like I walked away and I was just like, my numbers were just skyrocketing. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Like, I'm not doing any posts on social media. I'm not doing huh. anything. I I tried looking to see if my podcast was featured in like anything. <laughs> right. It was not. Interesting. <laughs> I, I was not in anything at all. I was not wow. charting. I was not. Yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> wow. I have a ton of questions around this. Let's break this down yeah. a little bit because I feel like we're burying the lead here if we don't dive into this growth hack. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm curious about this because I've heard a lot about promo swaps, uh, mm -hmm. but feed drops. Yeah. Is, um, I've always been a little skeptical of that because it seems so weird for a podcaster or a podcast listener to be tuning into a feed and to hear a totally different episode. So uh, you said you introduced that new episode and then you did you just play the full episode in its entirety? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It had uh, their intro in it. It had their plug for their Patreon in it, you know, anything like that. <laughs> All of it was there. And I just introduced it and said I was on break. And in the meantime, listen to this awesome podcast. So, And how many episodes did you do this for? Um, I think I did it for like three or four. Three or four. Wow. That is brave because a lot of people yeah. wouldn't give up their feed <laughs> to someone else for uh, that long. And yeah. it sounds like you handpicked specific podcasts that you like. Do those podcasts get big numbers too? Is that why? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I chose basically what happened is I went to the top charts in Apple for the niche that I'm in. And I just looked at the top ones and I sent them a message on like Instagram and they were very willing to do it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So what do you think happened? Like, because did those people promote your podcast feed somehow or? Um, no, <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> um, like I would post on my Instagram and just say, I would have like a, a picture of their cover art mm -hmm. and say like, hey, special episode, special guest episode, I think is what I called it. Mm -hmm. And they shared that but i mean even they didn't have like crazy social media followers or anything like that so um i don't know what it was with that <laughs> do you have a hypothesis of what it could be because let's say even i wanted to run this playbook like there's a lot of podcasts about podcasting how would i sort of ignite that i guess what i'm getting at is what do you think was happening there like you promoted four other shows yeah you did four feed drops it sounds like they didn't promote it at mm -mm. all. No. Um, and the numbers just skyrocketed. And did I... the numbers stick too? Or did yeah. it kind of wow, okay. They actually grew more and more and more after that. Like I was I was consistently over a hundred thousand downloads after that. Wow. And have you month. tried this technique again? Yeah, I actually just did it a couple months ago. I was like really busy. Oh yeah, it was summertime. I was just like super busy. And so I reached out to three new shows that do bedtime stories and just dropped them in my feed as well. Wow. Um, and was it the same result? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't have like crazy growth again or anything like that. Um, it's kind of plateaued around like 350,000 downloads. Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen anything from that. It was more just to like reassure my audience, like I, I will be back. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but yeah, feed drops are super valuable. Um, I have actually 
charged other podcasts to put their put their episode in my feed. Hmm. They paid very you well charge? for that. Um, you can charge, I think it's like $40 CPM. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you can charge a lot for feed drops. Feed drops are very valuable. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a feed drop swap soon with another um, meditation podcast. And so I'm excited. I wish I'd already done that so I could report and how that did because this <laughs> is actually going to be the first time that I drop my episode in someone else's feed. So I'm interested to see what a yeah. difference that makes. But yeah, and just to clarify, hmm? and just to clarify, the ones you did in the past, it wasn't actually a swap. You just said, you know what, I'm going to put your episode in my feed and there's no vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So now you're beginning to charge other podcasts for doing this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And how about your listeners? Do you think, I guess they enjoy it if the numbers show that it's increasing, right? Yeah. It, they don't seem to mind it at all when I do feed drops. And I mean, I think that there's also like a level of trust that my listeners have with me that mm -hmm. I am um, very selective about the things that I promote and I make sure to tell them why I have chosen this mm -hmm. podcast at the beginning and tell them why they should listen to it and what value it brings to me. Um, so I'm very, very careful. And like I said, again, intentionality. <laughs> yeah. I'm very intentional about what I do with the feed drops and very choosy about who is allowed to do a feed drop in my podcast. Right. That makes sense. And I'm going to go um, in your pack <clears throat> catalog and I'll find an example of a feed drop and I'll stick it in the show notes just for people have an example of how you're doing it. Do you have a good episode that Sound uh, Sleep was sound a really sleep. Yeah. What number is that? Was July 15th, Sound Sleep, The Man Without a Heart. Okay. I will add that episode in the show notes. I'll listen to it too, just to see how you do it. That's a great hack. And speaking of monetization, I noticed you have a lot of different monetization streams for your podcast. And I just want to touch on each one a little bit. On your website, you have a lot of sponsors. Uh, yeah. I think like six or something like that. Did you get those sponsors yourself? A couple of them, yes, I did. I also have a marketing agency that I work with. I work with um, True Native Media. I used to work with AdvertiseCast, and they got me some. But basically, they take like a 30% cut mm -hmm. for any sponsors that they bring to you. And it's actually really nice because um, having an agent they can often work out deals. So for example, like BetterHelp has bought my podcast for like two years straight. So wow. every single episode, I have BetterHelp as a sponsor. Um, I think literally everyone in my space has BetterHelp as a sponsor. <laughs> 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 They're everywhere. And so working with an agent is really nice in that sense. Um, but I did get, it's a little bit more work, but I did get a lot of sponsors through either cold emailing or podcorn. I used podcorn mm. sometimes. And that's a little bit more work because you have to pitch your podcast to right. them, like say why your audience would love their product. And here's my numbers. Here's what I charge, things like that. Right. Whereas if you have like an agency or you go through a site like AdvertiseCast, they pitch your podcast for you. <laughs> so right. you don't have to do any of that work. So much easier, almost worth yeah. the 30%. It and is, how, it is worth it. <laughs> yeah. And how many ad spots do you have on each episode? I limit it to two. I do mm -hmm. have the opportunity to do a pre-roll ad. So before the intro plays, but I do have two baked in ad slots. Sometimes I'll do a promo for like another podcast there because you 
you can get paid by other podcasts to talk about their podcast for like mm. 60 seconds, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I've done that a few times. Um, and I've also talked about certain sponsors like brands and things like that, but I only do two. You use the word baked in. Do you do baked in or do you do programmatic? I baked in. Oh, so yeah, I only do baked in. And part of that is sort of like the trust that my listeners have with me. Um, so if I were to, you know, introduce my podcast and then take a quick break and then it's like, you know, auto insurance advertising, you know what I mean? And then get into the story. It would just kind of interrupt that flow. And so I, you know, in my character voice, I talk about a sponsor that I have and how amazing it's been and they can use this code and mm. it stays in there in perpetuity because it's baked in. I work it into the episode intro. I do not do any mid-roll ads. I do not do any post-roll ads because it's the intentionality. <laughs> right. I value my listeners so much. So right. I will not interrupt their um, story time mm -hmm. with an ad. I will not jolt them awake after the episode has ended with an ad. Um, because like you said, I have like 10 to 15 minutes of ambient music after the story. And that's just to really make sure that they are fast asleep. And so if I end that <laughs> quiet time with an ad, it would completely ruin it. Right. And I'd probably lose a lot of listeners if I did that. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's good integrity. Yeah, very intentional. I love it. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So with uh, something like True Native, um, mm -hmm. you're using them as an agent. And you said BetterHelp has basically just bought two years of your podcast. Is yeah. that actually a contract? So you don't have to worry about it for the next two years? Um, they did. Basically, what happened is they bought an entire year of ad slots from me back when I was with AdvertiseCast in 2021. Mm -hmm. So I think they started like I see. January 2021. And then when I moved to True Native Media, they just basically like moved it over to True Native ah, and they it. bought me for another year again. So mm -hmm. I I imagine next January, I'm probably going to get another contract. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's totally hands off. Huh? You don't have to negotiate. Do they, because it's baked nope. in, do they give you a better CPM for that? Actually, I think that you get, <sighs> yes, you do get a better CPM for baked in. But honestly, the programmatic or dynamic ads where you insert them and then take them back out, even with like host red, those are starting to get, those are starting to catch up. I think that they used to be a lot less CPM. So it'd be like $15 CPM for um, dynamic ad insertion. And now I think it's starting to catch up to what the baked in is because brands and sponsors are starting to realize the value of just being like, programmatically inserted into like an entire back catalog. I have not done that yet, but I, I kind of want to because I can make like a lot of money yeah. <laughs> doing that. And do you mind if I ask, what are your CPMs for your baked in? Um, So my baked in, I think I usually hover around like $25 uh -huh. CPM. So that's $750 in ad slot. Got it. And when they buy a year, do they just pay all that up front? Or? No, they actually do. Here's the thing is sponsors really like to have a discount and you can actually kind of work that in. If a sponsor is like on the fence about sponsoring your podcast, it's really easy to be like, actually, I have this bundle deal and I will do three episodes at a discounted rate of like $20 or $17 CPM. So hmm. you can do that. And it actually winds up being more because you're guaranteed these spots. Um, uh. 
there's some people that don't want to do um, less than 25, 30, $35 CPM, but I would kind of prefer to have guaranteed money every single episode because sometimes you get in a dry spell and you don't have a sponsor. And then so suddenly you're not getting paid for like a couple episodes in a row and you're losing out on that money that you otherwise would have had. So um, BetterHelp, I think I get like, gosh, I want to say like $300 an episode, Mm -hmm. but they're paying me over like an entire year. You know what I mean? Right. They get a special deal for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just guaranteed money. It's easier that way. Right. Right. (laughs) And uh, I mean, not to say anything bad about the agents or anything like that, but was there a reason why you switched from one to another? This is going to sound really silly, but um, my podcast was just like getting bigger. Mm -hmm. And I had actually heard Heather Osgood, who's the, she's true native media. I heard her on an episode of Pat Flynn. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this lady's like really cool. She's awesome. Yeah. So I actually made the switch because of that, because I was meeting their standards of downloads because Mm -hmm. all the different agencies require different amounts of downloads. Right. Um, Advertise cast. It used to be, I think like 5,000 downloads a month. Mm But with their acquisition of Podgo, I think it's now 200 downloads per month. So, oh, really? Yeah. So you can actually have a pretty small podcast and still get signed on with this. And what was True Natives? Um, I want to say 20,000. Okay. So once you hit that mark, you're like, okay. So. Yeah. And and that's per episode in the first 30 days. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Well, thanks for sharing about your sponsorship revenue. That's very insightful. And I know you have a couple other revenue streams. You uh-huh. do Patreon, you do like a premium podcast. What's like your second biggest money maker? Um, I would say it's got to be Patreon. Yeah. Patreon's my second largest. I think I have 115, 120, it hovers around there, Patreon members. Mm-hmm. And... Last I checked, it was 119, which is very impressive. Very cool. And what are your patrons getting? Um, my patrons, it's funny because I haven't changed it since before I was thinking I was a um, children's podcast. So mm-hmm. I still have like things on there that I absolutely do not offer anymore, like um, custom coloring pages, like every month, you know, digital downloads. Mm-hmm. I don't have any of that. It's literally like two episodes a month, like two bonus episodes a month. And then sometimes I'll work in polls where they can vote on upcoming episodes. Um, I also will send a handwritten card and a holographic sticker to them Mm -hmm. in the mail. Um, Yeah. So that's Patreon. Patreon, I charge like a little bit extra because of that. But then I also have Apple podcast subscriptions. And I think I have, I have over 60 subscribers on there now. And then I also have a supercast that I just started and the reason why I have Supercast is because the members of Supercast can actually have their episodes populated into Spotify, mm-hmm. whereas with Patreon, Patreon doesn't play nice with Spotify. Right. And so any of my Patreon members, their custom RSS feed cannot be imported into Spotify. Yeah, that's a so, good tip. Yeah, I looked into yeah. that a little bit too. That's neat how Supercast plays nice with all the platforms. And is it the same bonus episodes that you do for all your premium podcasts? It's the exact same. So I charge, I think it's like $3.99 on Supercast a month and then $3.99 on on Apple podcast subscriptions per month as well. And then with Patreon, it's like $5. Got it. And do you think most of your patrons are doing it for the premium? Like how many bonus episodes do you give? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I have over 60 bonus episodes right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot. yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but it's so funny. 
people are so funny. I I <laughs> I have Patreon members that will pay up front for an entire year and then I'll message them and they just won't respond to me. I will post things, they won't <laughs> like respond to it. They won't vote on the polls. So they're paying me like a hundred bucks and then just like walking away, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just like, it's so weird to me because there's so many patrons that will pay me like, you know, $10 a month or something like that. And I cannot get them to respond to any of my messages. <laughs> like, I don't understand it. It's so weird. Yeah. No, that's not weird to me at all. It, it's really? funny. I, yeah. I kind of study a, a lot of like the behavior of fans and what they want to do. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of fans that actually want to give. Uh, that's why I'm mm -hmm. kind of curious how successful you are with that versus something like Supercast. Because I'm wondering if people actually really want that paid premium podcast feed. But have you been seeing some success with, with that premium podcast feed on platforms apart from Patreon? Yeah, and it all adds up. So Apple, at the end of the day, you know, once they take their cut of it, mm -hmm. I probably get like $118 a month oh, from yeah, that. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then Supercast, they don't do like the full billing at the end of the month. And so it's like really funny because I'll get an email and it's like, congrats, $2.98 has been sent to your bank account. And I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I actually don't know how much I'm making on Supercast. I don't, oh, I haven't paid attention to it. I'm sure it's like $12 <laughs> or something. Um Gosh, maybe maybe 20 actually now that I think about it. But I mean, it's it's not a lot. But the thing is, is like, you know, there's some months on Patreon that I'll make like $700. There's some months where I will make $300. And all of that combined together, it just kind of like supplements. It helps a little bit. Sure. So, no, yeah. that's pretty substantial. That's really it good. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um... I actually just thought of something too. Sure. There's a misconception that I have heard so many times from other podcasters when giving advice about like a Patreon or things like that. Mm -hmm. And that is to wait until you have like so many thousands of downloads a month mm. before creating your Patreon page. And that advice drives me crazy. It drives me <laughs> bananas because I started my Patreon before my podcast ever launched and it was so great because it was an opportunity for my friends and family to like throw some money my way like hey we support you and then you know they they drifted off as it went but you know the thing is is that at first that was able to support like hosting fees music licensing fees things like that and the thing that i love about doing this kind of thing is that it doesn't cost you any money up front you don't pay money until you make money they, they take it out of the total that a Patreon member has paid you. And so you don't actually have to put anything up front. You don't have to have an initial investment. And in the meantime, you can actually build up a back catalog. And that makes it more enticing for people to contribute to your Patreon and get those added benefits. Yeah. And there's a couple of things you do really well that, once again, I study this stuff quite a bit because, you know, for Pod Inbox, we also take fan donations and stuff like that, too. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you. You know, you start very early on. I think you're successful at it because there's a couple of things I notice you do is you give shout outs to your yeah. patrons. Because yeah. that will give some incentive for other people. Like some people just want a shout out, right? They just yes. want to hear their name on the podcast they enjoy. And you do that with all your patrons all your new patrons. So it just encourages other patrons. It's like such a great call to action attachment, right? And oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And people give it as like gifts, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, I recently had the cutest thing happen where um, there was this girl in Australia and she bought a Patreon subscription and she messaged me and she said, hey, this is for my boyfriend, like Ted something, right? Mm -hmm. And then a few days later... And she was like, can you like, please like wish him a happy anniversary? Cause we both listened to your podcast going to sleep. And then, um, like a few days later, I got a Ted person subscribing to my Patreon and he <laughs> said, Hey, can you please give a shout out to a, a girl named Allison? And I put it together. I was like, Oh my gosh, this couple secretly bought Patreon subscriptions for each other. And it was the funniest thing. So in my thank you card, I wrote like happy anniversary to both of them. <laughs> and I gave them both a shout out. And they kind of had that moment. Like they messaged me afterwards uh, and said it was so funny when they realized that they had both messaged me. That's <laughs> funny. That reminds me of like some short story we read in high school called The Gift or something. I don't know if you remember that story. It's where a couple, they both kind of like the yeah, it was the gift of the Magi. Yeah, the gift of the Magi, yeah. exactly. And they both like, ex yeah, yeah. Yeah, great story. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, yeah, you do it very well. It's like textbook where you're kind of giving shout outs and you do it on every episode. I think what every people, episode, yeah. and I think why people aren't successful with like these fan patronage type of platforms is they, you know, they set it up. They take all this time to set it up and they never really promote it. Mm. So you're doing a great job promoting it. Um, yes, this has been cool. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, like one of the things I really wanted to know is I feel like a lot of listeners, they don't know how to get their first like 1000 listeners. Oh. You know, that's always tough. Yeah, that's that's a really hard one. I would say that being in community with the other podcasts in your niche and thinking of it less as a competition than a collaboration an opportunity for collaboration, I should say. I think that that is really important because what winds up happening when you're in community, it's like the rising tide raises all ships. Mm -hmm. And when you're just off on your own little island and you're very like precious about your podcast and you don't want to share anything with anybody, you don't want to promote other people's podcasts, you, you think like, oh, this other person just dropped a podcast almost exactly like mine. Instead of resenting them, maybe reach out to them, guest on their podcast, have them guest on your podcast. And it just kind of like breeds this collaboration sort of thing and the sense of community that is so important to the growth of every podcast. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think that combined with your advice about doing feed drops, that's like a really good gateway to opening up yeah. that conversation with other podcasters. Because, hey, I would love to drop my feed in any other podcast about podcasting. And oh, yeah. similar to me, I, you know, after you mentioned, I'm like, oh, I would love to have, you know, a couple of these other podcasts about podcasting show up on my feed. So I love that last piece of advice. So before we wrap up the interview, I always end off with our final quick questions at the end. Uh, so question number one, do you collect listener emails? No. You don't? I don't. <laughs> but you do have listener emails from your Patreon, I imagine, right? Yeah, I do, but I never use it, mm. which okay. is so funny unless I'm giving away a book and I like email them like, hey, what's your address? Because I'm going to send you a book. <laughs> like, Fair enough. But, so you don't yeah, do like I, a newsletter or anything? No blasts? I, 
don't. And a lot of my podcaster friends want to wring my neck because of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know it is like one of the number one marketing tools. But I am like something that's kind of funny is I am a garbage marketer. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. I doubt that to be true. I just want to be nice to people and somehow that works out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of the best marketing tactics, really, if you call it, it a tactic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's cool. Um, so question number two, what's the last podcast you recommended to someone besides your own? Ooh, um, I think the last podcast that I recommended to somebody was The Tower. Hmm. And it is an audio fiction podcast. I think it's a company in Scotland does it, but it's this beautiful, beautiful, very short. You can listen to the whole series in hmm. like a day. It's it's short episodes, but it's this beautiful kind of magical realism uh, audio fiction podcast about a woman who decides that she's going to try to climb this tower that was built by a mad king and it reaches up into the sky and there's lore that... And there's lore that nobody has ever reached the top and like <laughs> okay. lived to tell the tale. And it's very like mysterious and pretty. It's a it's a very pretty podcast. So pretty that's podcast. All right. Now I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, and you said it's a limited series. Yes. And they're actually coming out with season three, I think this week. Season so three. I, wow. Yeah. So but yeah, you can listen to an entire season in like one afternoon. It's <laughs> really okay. I'll it's very short. It yeah. Very cool. Uh, question three, how much time do you spend producing each episode? Oh my gosh. Um, each episode before I like hired my friend to help edit each mm -hmm. episode, um, I was probably spending about 20 hours oh, wow. a week yeah, and... on every single episode because I would have to either um, find the story, do an adaptation or write um, write an episode. And then I also would like record it and then have to find the music and then spend, you know, like 10 hours just editing the episode. And yeah, so it would take about 20 hours, 15 hours. Um, wow. Yeah. That's actually a little shorter than I thought because you're it's so highly produced. Do you have like unique uh, music in every episode? I do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And every episode is an ad adaptation, right? You're not just reading someone else's story, right? Um, sometimes I do just read straight up from, you know, Hans Christian Andersen and oh, okay. like that because they're, they're public domain. Uh -huh. Um, but there are some stories that people really, really want. And like, I don't have all the time in the world to do like an audiobook. Um, mm -hmm. I've had some people request that I like read an entire like unadapted <laughs> story, but honestly, that would take like, 13 hours of podcast yeah. time you know what i mean yeah. like just the whole series would take i don't even know how long mm -hmm. and so i um will do adaptations and kind of like do an abridged version of sherlock holmes of pride and prejudice things mm, like that or or the wizard of oz but that takes so long like it it takes forever to adapt those stories into shorter consolidated um right. things yeah and uh, what size of your podcast did you decide to hire on another i think what happened was i mean when it got to be like three hundred thousand, what what happened is like i don't trust people to have my same like standards mm -hmm. 
And so when my friend moved back from Ukraine this year, um, she needed some work. And Mm -hmm. I know that she is also extremely talented and artistic and detail oriented. And I've known her for a very long time. And so I knew that if I trained her to edit, then she would be perfect. And she is perfect. Like she's, (laughs) she's awesome. So, um, but I, I do pay her like 25 an hour, Mm. which is quite a bit. (laughs) It's a lot, but, um, I would rather pay her to do the work that is at my level than have like outsourced to somebody. So yeah, it was, it was more of just me being very protective of the quality of my content. Um, I've heard horror stories about, you know, using Fiverr or something like that for editors. And so I just, I kind of, (laughs) I stayed away from it as long as I could. (laughs) That's cool. And maybe it was just the right time at the right moment because you were you know, getting a lot of, you were monetizing from your podcast and could yeah. afford it at the right time too. Yeah. I probably should have hired an editor like a year ago. Oh, and yeah. um, like now that I have one, I'm like, wow, why did I not do this earlier? <laughs> <laughs> that is tempting. That's, yeah. that's, that's cool. That's good to know. Um, question number four, what's your favorite podcast tool? My favorite podcast tool. Oh, this is hard. I think it's going to be um, Buzzsprout's Magic Mastering. Hmm. I use it on everything. I use it on all the Buzzsprout podcasts that I do. I use it on Dreamfall. Like I will run my audio through it and then yeah, like it just it makes everything sound so much better. Is it, it just even, like a last mastering like button or something like that? I'm not too familiar with it. Yeah. Basically what happens is when you upload your episode into Buzzsprout, if you have magic mastering turned on, it's it's like a licensed version of a phonic. So hmm. if you're familiar with Alphonic, and it just it's they call it, I love this. They call it an Instagram filter for your audio. And it totally <laughs> is like, it just makes you sound so professional. I actually did an interview, um, that dropped today and the person that was guesting on the podcast, um, for whatever reason, halfway through the recording, their audio dropped from their sure SM7B to their laptop mic, oh, right? No. You can't even like, you can barely tell. The difference mm-hmm. oh, and that's yeah. because yeah that's because i ran it through the magic mastering Oop. that's because i ran it through the magic mastering and so the audio like i don't think a lot of people even notice the difference thank goodness <laughs> that's cool and we didn't even yeah. get to talk about that what do you do for buzzsprout now um i am their podcast producer so three years mean? and that means that i am the one putting together the podcast content i am hosting the podcast i am editing and uploading <laughs> is it for <laughs> so, all the podcasts or just podcast yeah. q a oh for podcasting q a and buzzcast yeah oh for both okay yeah right on so yeah wow that's a lot of that's a lot of work that's a lot of podcasts you're responsible for it's so much <laughs> yeah. and you're the editor for those two then Yes. Okay. So you'll never be able to <laughs> let go of editing altogether. No, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> That's cool. And what social media platform do you use most? You know, I finally got on Twitter this year mm. in 2022. Nice. I finally got on Twitter. And... By the way, I'm a noob, t- Twitter noob too. So. <laughs> Me too. I'm so I bad at it. it. And I've been seeing you on Twitter. That's great. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll just be like, oh, this is really funny. And I'll just like tweet it. And I get really excited if like 10 people like it. I'm like, yeah, that was solid. <laughs> like I'm blowing up. <laughs> exactly. I'm finally understanding the dopamine behind Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just joined that. But yeah, I'm garbage at it. 
my favorite is Instagram and it's, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of because I'm more of like a visual person. Yeah. And a lot of my listeners are so much more engaged on Instagram, like Facebook, they do not care. Twitter, nobody cares. But if I will do like an Instagram story and just talk, I get so many responses. Yeah. And so I I think it's one of those things where, you know, people always have their opinions about like which social media platform you need to be on. But honestly, like just whatever you're comfortable with Mm -hmm. and wherever your audience tends to be like I would honestly just focus on that like I've thought about deleting my my Facebook page a million times <laughs> nobody cares on there <laughs> yeah yeah no your Instagram's great I love it it does have that drama too uh that element of drama that's very consistent with dreamful yeah <laughs> so finally last question what's your primary call to action at the I guess four years is at the beginning of each episode yeah it's at the beginning of every episode My primary call to action would have to be my call for listener support. I started doing the whole like, you know, you can support us with kind words, rating and reviews or tell your friend or your mom about the podcast. I did that for a little bit. And then um, I found that it was just too much with also doing my listener like monetarily supporting call to action. And so I completely cut those out and I just do the one shot like we call it like the one shot you got one shot to (laughs) get someone to do something and my one shot is always listener support so it's like if you find value in this podcast and you'd like to help support it you can do so through paypal supercast apple Podcasts, and patreon and links are in the show notes and i'm out like that it's very simple right no i love it (laughs) well there you have it folks Thanks so much, Jordan, for dropping all this knowledge on us. And um, if you enjoy Jordan, I really recommend go check out Dreamful Bedtime Stories. And if you go to our website or even in the show notes, go give her some support on Patreon, Supercast, (laughs) and wherever she asks for support. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Jordan. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. If so, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. And here's a review I recently received from a listener, Carrie Finn Sand, who wrote, As a new podcaster, I appreciate learning from all levels of podcasters. And that is what Pat provides in this podcast. I like how he asks people about what tools podcasters use in creating and distributing their content. The five quick questions at the end is a fun idea, too. It provides quick, useful insights. Well, thanks, Carrie. I really appreciate that review. And if you, other listeners, write a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll share yours on an upcoming episode, too. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.